You are listening to episode 75 of Exit the Drinking Life. In this episode, I'm bringing you another exit story. This one is the perfect episode for this time of year. I'm speaking with and having an amazing chat with one of my fellow This Naked Mind coaches, Pam. And she is also a grief specialty coach. And she's going to be sharing her story and also how to help with grief. And why do I think this is a perfect opportunity and a perfect time for this kind of episode? Is because this is the time of year, the perfect storm, I like to call it, between November and the first of the year, right? All the holidays are packed in there together, right? And for many, many people, this is a very, very challenging time. And alcohol becomes a very big part of your time because of the loss of loved ones, because of grief. And so this, if that's what's happening for you, this is the ideal episode for you. Welcome to Exit the Drinking Life podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm your host, Debbie Tauber, creator of the Exit Methodology advocate for living your best and most intentional life, and alcohol freedom coach. This podcast is for you if you have big dreams and aspirations, but you begin to notice that just maybe your current drinking patterns are getting in the way. Inside the podcast, we'll dive into a modern day approach that can help you move away from shame and blame when it comes to what you're drinking and finally take the driver's seat of your life again. It's time to exit the drinking life. Hey, my friends, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to be here with you guys today. And I always appreciate you guys letting me be in between your ears and in your earbuds and on your walks or in the car as we are learning how to exit this cycle of drinking, over-drinking, shaming ourselves, and living in regret, and just staying in that loop. And so today I have an amazing guest with me, and we are going to hear another exit story, as well as tips on how to navigate, one, the holidays, and because for some people, this is also a grieving time period, because there's been a lot of loss involved in it. And then also how to handle grief without alcohol in your glass. So with that in mind, I'm going to introduce my guest and I'm going to let her tell you guys her story. And then we're going to have a conversation and we're also going to give you some insight around grief and navigating the holidays. So um, Pam, I have my guest. Oh, wait, let me tell you how I know her first. (laughs) So I know Pam from my This Naked Mind Coach Certification. We're both now senior coaches with This Naked Mind, and we met each other. We actually got to see each other in person. This was pre-COVID, and we got to see each other in person and meet each other in person and do our certification process in person. And so this is how I know Pam. So Pam, go ahead and introduce yourself and then let people know like a little bit about your story. we got to go there first. That's great. Thank you so much, Debbie. It's just an honor to be here with you. Um, So as Debbie said, my name's Pam and I'm a senior This Naked Mind uh, certified coach. And just sort of going back, I can take you back almost 10 years ago now 
I realized that alcohol was not doing me any favors and I was just not where I wanted to be in life. I was looking around and things were just not fitting. You know, I was eating right. I was exercising. I was getting fresh air. I thought I was treating myself really kindly, but every night I still had, I still drank my beer. And I finally came to the realization, and it took a while, that maybe it's the beer that needs to leave. So I searched and tried, did a lot of trying on my own to stop, and really struggled with the fact that I couldn't stop on my own. And I thought, you know, sure, I drink beers and I have fun on weekends and I drink beer in the evening, but I didn't think it was really that big of an issue. And all of a sudden, when I couldn't stop, I really thought, wow, you know, what is going on? Tried all kinds of different ways to stop, tried to make promises with myself, tried to, you know, reach out to different groups. There weren't that many that were around, tried to just not buy it. But I had these underlying beliefs that alcohol still helped relieve my stress. Alcohol helped me sleep better. Alcohol let me dance better when I went out. Uh, Alcohol just helped me in so many ways. And I really struggled with the fact of giving it up. And then I, that went on for four or five years. And then I finally came across uh, Annie Grace and the book, This Naked Mind, and thought, you know what, let's try this. And I jumped in with both feet, but I was so surprised because for the five years previous, I'd been beating myself up. You know, you're, you're not doing this right. You're not successful. I was filling myself with shame and guilt and just constant negativity. And all of a sudden, I realized that I was going about it all the wrong way. And it's time to just dig in and learn why I'm addicted to an addictive substance. I mean, even just that realization was like, wow, but society says it's okay. Right. Yeah. I think that's a big thing for a lot of people is we can't, it's, it's really the only drug that you have to justify not having. Yes. A hundred percent. But we aren't trained and sold and realized to believe that it's a drug. No, and it's not even it's not even identified as a drug in the sense of it's alcohol and drugs. Right. Like yeah. Combine it all together and just say drugs. Yes. But it is mm-hmm. so socially acceptable. I always say it's so socially acceptable until it's not. Yeah, that is true. Until people start like saying behind your back, yeah. she's got a problem or he's okay. got a problem. Or at least I'm not like so-and-so. Yes. <laughs> like, right? Like, it's like one of those. Like. Oh, huge. Huge. Well, you know, I didn't drink as much as they did last night, so I should be okay. I'm good. Right? Yeah. It's you good. Know, I'm good. It's, yeah. it's, it's not me that's the problem. It's you that has a problem for thinking I have a problem. Right. And yeah. I also didn't fit the stigma of I didn't live under a bridge homeless with a sleeping bag with a bottle in a brown paper bag. Yeah, that's, that was me too. Like that was my, I was totally high functioning. 
Like, yeah. I never miss work. No. I never, yeah, sometimes I had hangovers and headaches when I showed up, but I never drank at work. I never was like, missed a shift or a flight or a rotation because I was so drunk I forgot about it. Like, I never did any of that kind of stuff. So for me, it was also hard to think, like you said, oh, maybe it's beer that has to go, right? It took a while to get to like, oh, maybe it's alcohol that's the thing that I need to rethink. And then even just having that realization, just, I mean, my whole body, I can visualize it and feel it again was just fear. Like, it can't be my beer. There's yeah. Not, you know, my beer has helped me. You know, my beer has been my best friend for the last 30 years. It has helped me through ups and downs. So I thought. So don't take away my best friend. I'll just yeah, exercise more. <laughs> that was me. That was what I was like. To, like, And I remember after I had gone alcohol, like I had been able to use this system that we're using now, right? Like where we uncover our beliefs and our thoughts about our friend alcohol, what we think it's helping us with, right? And I remember seeing a post that was on social media, and I think it was from this naked mind. And they said something about if there was a label on the alcohol that said something like the cigarette label, it was something like that. Like if it had that label, would it have mattered? And I could tell you that then while I was drinking actively, it would not have mattered because like you said, alcohol was my best friend and I was not going to give up my best friend. Alcohol was what didn't argue back with me. Alcohol was what helped me when, what I thought anyway, helped me when I was struggling, when I was overwhelmed, when I was stressed out. I thought that was how I was managing to handle all of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, I so agree with you. It's just, you know, alcohol soothed my tears. And I love how you said alcohol never talked back to me. Alcohol <laughs> never criticized me for having yeah. one more. Exactly. You know, the, the, I could hear the fridge cheering when I would reach into it and grab another beer and the beer would go, yay, Pam's back for another one. Isn't this great? This is so much fun. We're having so much fun with Pam. But yet I would have tears streaming down my face because unbeknownst to me, I was consuming a depressant and yeah. had a stress day. So then all my emotions, although they're numbed, would be almost like exemplified. So then I'd go into a crying fit of, you know, what is going on? It just, things didn't make sense. Yeah, totally. It totally doesn't. But then the, and so now did you, what helped you with, what was the most insightful part for you with the, the snake and mind process? Like the methodology that's actually utilized compared to what you had been trying before? Um, the methodology really resonated with me and the fact of getting rid of the shame and treating myself with grace and compassion. It's like grace and compassion. Is that not a TV show somewhere? Yeah. Like, what no, is, is grace and compassion? It was compassion? grace and somebody, I think. That's so it. Yeah, it was something. Yeah. <laughs> grace and compassion for myself. What is, like, I don't even know what that is. So just realizing that I can treat myself with grace and compassion and it's not my fault it was yeah. huge for me, huge. 
you know, and granted, I'm the one that grabbed the beers. I'm the one that drank them. No one was forcing me to. But when you're given an addictive substance and you keep using it over and over again, you get addicted to it, just like smoking, just like heavy drugs. You know, it's just, it happens. Um, so just being able to give myself that grace and compassion, as I said, and just take it one step at a time and learn the science behind why it's not my fault. Right. Yeah. And what's actually happening inside our body and inside our brain. Yes. That was the part that like I found the book after I had already knew and like after I knew I was already done. Right. But, and the methodology I used was what they talk about. Like I took the focus off of trying to stop and put the focus on why do I want this? What do I think it's solving? Like I literally started like, okay, well, what am I wanting from this friend? Like, what do I want from her? And is she giving that to me? Right. It was literally, those were the type of questions I started asking myself. I was still drinking, but I started asking myself those questions. I started exploring them for their truth and collecting the information like a scientist and then waking up and realizing, oh my God, that's not doing any of that. Okay. I think I'm done with that. And, but I mean, it wasn't like, a three-day process. It wasn't that. Like it took a little while for the brain just all to catch up, right? But then when I found the book, but I still had like this feeling of, okay, that feels too euphoric. This just feels like I know it's permanent. But why? Like it was like, but why did it work? Was my thing. And that's how I found the book because I was searching the internet. Like, why did this work? I don't remember the exact words I used, but and then when I got the book and read it, then I was like, oh, that's why it worked. It's because I worked with my brain and how it's designed instead of against it, trying to fight against it. Yes, that is that. Thank you for that reminder. That is a huge key because when we fight it, it just wants to rebel. Yeah, like we a toddler. Actually, it is like a toddler. It is exactly <laughs> like a toddler. <laughs> So by learning what's going on and accepting these thoughts and accepting, you know, a craving or a trigger, as we call them, and saying, you know, I know why you're here. I now understand it. I understand that I had a stressful day. So your automatic reaction is to reach for a drink, but you don't help me. And like you, I did the learning and thought, yeah, I'm feeling stressed. Let's have a beer. How do I feel after I've had that beer? I'm still stressed. Yeah. I'm still sad. I'm still sad. I'm still lonely. I'm still bored. Or, okay, yeah, I went to the party. I think I had a good time. I don't even know because I don't remember. (laughs) Like, it's like, they're like, did I really? And what was the point of the party? Did I want to go to connect? Did I connect? I don't know. I'm getting these text messages back that I don't think I was doing that good of a connection job. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. did I fit in? Well, I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. And, but it's, but it's not. So for people listening, it's not your fault that you think that's what it's helping you with either. Correct. Because if you pay attention to the commercials, you pay attention to the television shows, you pay attention to the movies. That's what the movies are depicting as how you cope with stress, how you go to a party, how you 
So it's not surprising that you believe that that's what it's helping you with. Oh, I so agree. And that actually brings up a really interesting, I'll just sort of go off on a side ramble quickly. I was watching a show. I can't even remember what it was called on Netflix. And I decided I really wanted to pay attention to people that were drinking because it was a, uh, it was like a cops and robbers, you know, a detective show. And everyone that drank, I watched their body language and their facial expressions when they got the drink, drink, and then when they first took a sip. And that subliminal advertising that we receive as society, yeah. their body, everybody's body language would just go, oh, okay, and their shoulders would go down and they'd get a smile on their face. And it's like, okay, my friend is here now. I have a drink. Let's take a sip. And it's like, wow, how long have we been watching that and not ever observing what those actors and actresses are doing when they're drinking? Right. And then what it's, and then our brain, because our brain functions by the messaging, yes. right? It sees that visual impact. And so then our brain is getting the message. Yeah, this is what you do when you feel like they were before. And now look what happens when you have this. And now you don't. Yeah. And so, yes. Okay, that's a good idea. Let's and then you do it. And at first, the first 20 minutes, yeah, that is what happens. Yep. And then after that, it's not. No. And then the rest of the impact happens to the body, and that's you know, the stress and all the stuff that starts to happen. So it's like, so I want people to know it's not like you kill, like it's not your fault, right? And it makes total 100 percent sense why you would be thinking until you question it and really look at it in your life. Like, well, is that really actually happening? That alcohol would be the answer. Right. And then, yes. uh, you know, and even in, because recently I've been listening to on, because the way I do books is in audible. I, so to me, that's reading, like, <laughs> like I don't, but some of them I have on paper, but that's mainly how I read now is with the audio. And so I had this fiction series I was listening to and I was just, now I laugh and I start, but I, but I'm also like, okay. And this is why so many people need our help. Right. But I'm like listening to it and every little trauma in the book that was going on. And it was these three sisters or whatever. And they're all like, oh, well, we need wine for that before we're going to discuss it. Like the whole, like even in the fictional book, this is how. We need this first to do this. And then there was a wedding in it. Oh, wait, we need the champagne. We can't do this without the champagne. Who has the champagne? Like, it was all like, and so how many times throughout this, like, fictional book even, there were series of things and events happening where the wine was brought into the story and the champagne was brought into the story and cocktails brought into the story. So many times. Right. And so and so then as we're now approaching the holidays, right, we're going to be having all of that brought into us. And so what I want to encourage the listeners to do is really think about does the wine, the liquors, the things that you look forward to in the holidays, those drinks before. Right. Is that really the reason for getting together with the people that you want to get together with or is the reason to reconnect with them? Like, why are you really wanting to get together? And is the wine literally really going to help you connect? Or the the cocktail, whatever that is. is your Because I know around Christmas time, there's a lot of different, you know, specialty cocktails that come up 
And is that really going to help you connect? And really think about that. Fabulous question to have your listeners ponder. <laughs> yeah. So, no, so it, as we, it's great. Yeah, because really, if you can really ask yourself, why are you going? What do you really want from it? And is this going to help me get it? Do I actually have to have it to get that? Like, really just question it. And, and my thing is always, especially with my clients, and tell yourself the truth, the whole truth. Like, it's like, we're because we're constantly, and it's not like, and it's not to judge that you're lying either, right? It's that, oh, this is what I'm doing. Kind of an open awareness and igniting the curiosity yes. around it. Yeah. Yes, I love that. And t- you can even take it one step further is when you get curious, like you suggested, Debbie, do that and then look at it the next day. And say, okay, these were my intentions going into the, you know, the celebration or the social event or whatever it was. You know, I wanted to connect with friends. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. And then you drank. So did you connect? You know, and really look back at the event and say, okay, did what what I want to happen really happen? Exactly. And be and really be your own scientist. Collect your own data. And then Make your decision based upon what is true for you, what you actually want. Ask questions more like that instead of looking up, am I an alcoholic? Right. Or uh, why can't I figure this out? Right. More like, what am I wanting from this? And then what is it that I actually want at the event? And did I actually get it? Kind of a thing. And so, um, but let's go a little bit into, so then I don't think we finished your story. Oh, we, so we got to finish that part first. Then we'll go into the griefing, the grief. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I think I left off where I found, yes, I left off where I found Annie Grace in this naked mind and really dug in and got curious and, you know, did my first day one and then made it two days and then made it three days and, I was successful, but it was because I was curious and I was asking questions and I was understanding the knowledge and realizing that alcohol really wasn't my best friend. It was like my enemy or an old toxic relationship. And the more I realized that and understood it and believed it, because now I was believing that, you know, nothing that I believed prior to drinking was actually true. It didn't relieve my stress, didn't help me sleep. It didn't help me connect with friends, kept motivating me to keep trying and going for 30 days alcohol-free. And then I felt so good, I just kept going on. And that was November 6, 2017. And I haven't looked back yet. Oh, that's so fantastic. It's almost the same. Mine was 2016 in September. Excellent. It was like, yeah. Hey there, are you looking to get unstuck from the cycle of drinking, over-drinking, shame, and regret? Then I've got some awesome news. I've just recently launched my five-day mindset shift program, the small changes to ignite your exit from the drinking life. If you are willing to give me 10 minutes a day for five days, you'll be thrilled by the shift you can make following what I share with you. In five days, 
you'll learn small changes that change everything. You'll get my signature coaching framework that has helped hundreds of others change what it is they drink. They're now effortlessly picking alcohol less often or not at all without feeling like they are missing out on all the joys of life. If you're ready to ignite your exit from the drinking life, then visit jumpseatcoaching.com forward slash ignite to get started with the free five-day mindset shift program. So what has actually shifted for you since then? Like with the years, I know we're both coaches and I get that part, but what about it? Like in your personal life, how the stories that you used to tell yourself about, Oh, well, if I miss my friend and I don't have my friend alcohol, what is life? Life is going to be like such and such. What's the real true story? I thought life would just suck without alcohol. I mean, I just, what's the point? Right. Yeah. Me too. Alcohol. Like I had a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's, I, I think that for the last, it's been almost four years, the last four years, so much has changed. But the thing I love the most is waking up and literally jumping out of bed. And my day is just filled with opportunity because I can accomplish things. I'm still outgoing. I'm still social. I have such better connection with friends and family. I I just love life. But the most important thing for me is now I love myself. Yeah, that was a big shift for me too. That's what happened too, is I stopped. I used to have like this deep loathing for myself, really. And then with this letting it all go, I mean, I did have just like the habit pattern of turning to alcohol was a habit pattern. I had to have a pattern of turning to, oh, look how you messed up again, kind of thing. And so it took work shifting that. But it was easier I because also I wasn't depressed. Yes. Either. I wasn't, like, depressed. And I don't know, like, for me, because I'm 64, and I honestly thought all the things that were happening, the achiness, the not being able to wake up, the not being able to keep up, the um, not remembering things. I honestly thought, oh, well, that's what happens. The closer you get to 60, the more this happens, right? And that's not true. It was the alcohol. Like I wake up, like you talked about, it's really like, like I'm better than happy now. And I wake up wide awake, excited for life. I don't have any kind of depression. And for years I had deep depression, like every three months. And now I haven't had one bout of depression since I let alcohol go from my life. I mean, yeah, things have happened, but I'm not, I don't get over. I don't get um, deep depression. No kind of thing. And then that my skin is better. I exercise. I'm healthy. Like I feel like I did more in my forties than, and so it wasn't, the aging part. It was the poison I was putting in my body. No, that it, that's so true. And it's still, you know, I mentioned I love myself and you do the same with yourself, Debbie. I'm still human. I still make mistakes. You know, we're human. That happens. Yeah. But when I make a mistake, I realize it. I remember it. I can apologize and move on. 
Right, there's and no I shame, don't. shame, there's no guilt, there's no, you know what, I'm really sorry. I, I put my foot in my mouth or I shouldn't have, you know, canceled plans last minute, whatever it was. But I know I'm doing it because I'm clear-headed and sober. So it's just, you know what, I'm human. I made a mistake. Let's move on. Let's have some fun now. Yeah. And it's not so, everything doesn't become so personalized about you. Yeah. And I think part of it is because you now trust yourself again. Yes. Is that's really what, because we weren't, because we couldn't figure it out for so long. Right. And thinking too, there's something inherently wrong with me because everybody else is normal and they can do this. Right. Only little do we know that when we, now what I have also been surprised by is when I say and talk about my story, how many other people would, feel exactly like I felt, but I never knew it. Yes. I always thought I was alone. Always thought I was alone. Nobody else could understand me. Nobody else knew what I was going through. Just me, myself, and my beer, which (laughs) gets us into that, that sort of hamster wheel or groundhog day, where if nobody understands us, we may as well just drink more. Without stopping and stepping back. And saying, okay, what is really going on here? Right. And that's why I call it like the drinking life. And that's what I mean by the cycle. Yes. Like like, what we're doing literally is we're exiting that cycle. And when you exit that cycle, then is when literally you can create the life that you always thought was possible or even that you wished was possible. You are actually able to do it. Yes. And yes, things come up and things happen. And uh, we have sadness and we have COVID, right? And we have job loss and we have job change. But we are able to trust ourselves that we will figure it out, navigate it. And then it's less about us as a human and more about, all right, how am I going to figure out this circumstance? Yeah, so that's part. I mean, that's the part that and 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 I really wish that there was some way that we could like give people this magic thing. I don't know, magic pill, right? And you could just instantly have what we have now. But we can't. You have to be willing to do the same thing we did. You have to be willing to explore your beliefs, examine them, uh, X out the ones that aren't helping you. Ignite your curiosity and trust yourself. You need to be willing to go through that work. Yes, so true. So true. And it just takes one step. Just that one step to sort of back up just for a minute to just start to examine with a little bit of curiosity. Yeah. And if you can give yourself that, then a lot will change for you. Huge changes. Huge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Huge. So... So now we have your story fast forward. Now I know also during this time, you also, you lost your father. Yes. Right. And so that was a big, and so now I know that you're focusing on helping people with grief. So what actually led you to decide to focus on grief also? I just realized, first of all, losing anyone is just so difficult. But grief has such a similarity to becoming sober because they are two things that are not talked about. Yeah. You know, if you become sober or choose to just not drink, 
Everybody looks at you and says, I didn't know you had a problem. You have a problem. You know, you're, you're singled out. And when you lose someone or are going through grief, and it can be a loss of an individual, it can be a loss of a pet, loss of a job, loss of socialization around. It's not talked about. It's just sort of, well, you know, I hope you're going to be okay and I'm really sorry. And then it's left at that. Yeah, that is interesting. And I like how you talk about not just a person dying, right? Grief. And I really believe that a lot of our listeners from the impact of the year of 2020, even if there was no one close to them lost from the COVID and everything that's happened in 2020, what they're going through a form of a grief. Yes. Oh, very much so. Our old norm, like the way things were, are never going to be again. Like they, they're just not. I so agree with you there. And it's, you know, it's so difficult, but just, there's no one around to be able to say, you know what, this hurts me. This hurts me that we can't go back to that. And I'm grieving that. And people, again, just look at you and say, oh, okay, well, you know, get over it. It's okay. It's like, <laughs> I, I can't get over it. I need, I need to be heard. And we as individuals trying to leave alcohol in the past also need to be heard. You know, we yeah. are taking a stance for ourselves. And whether we had a problem or not, is, that's a non-issue. It's we want to better ourselves. I agree with you on that. It's not. Like, it's because we chose that it was no longer working in our life. So to be able to bring these two to the forefront and say, you know what, it's okay, I hear you, uh, I think is really impactful. And when I look back at my drinking history, and then when I finally put the, put my, so what I thought my best friend down, I actually grieved that. Yeah. That is true. I never really thought about it like that, yeah. but I, that was part of it. Grieve the loss of my best friend. As strange as that sounds, because it's poison. And so, but it was something that was so consistent and constant in my life. Yeah. And that's kind of like the reason I do like membership and coach people for an extended period of time, not just like three weeks. And it's because, okay, the alcohol part, you have put down your friend and you have realized this person is no longer helping me in my life. And I'm choosing not to put it in my glass anymore. I'm going to change what I'm drinking. But just like a divorce, even you're having to figure out who am I in this world now without my friend alcohol. And I never really thought about it, but with the grieving too, it's like, okay, who am I in this world now without this person? without my father, without my pet, without my job. Yes. Without what I used to normally do. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. just, it's a whole new, a whole new adjustment. You know, right. it's so refining your ways? identity. So what are some of the ways? Cause I know holiday time can be hard for people, especially if they've lost someone and the grieving. So what would be some tips that you would have people like, for, especially for managing the holidays while they're experiencing grief? Even if it wasn't like somebody lost over the holidays, I do know that when the person isn't there, especially the first year, yes, it's very challenging for the holiday events. First and foremost, and again, very much like going alcohol-free, give yourself grace and compassion. 
we always say when you become alcohol free, you need a year to experience everything. That's the same with grief in the sense you have to go through so much for the first time. So you have to go through holidays for the first time, birthday celebrations, social events, whatever it is. Again, whether it's a person, an animal, a season, you need to go through these. So giving yourself grace and compassion is huge, huge to just say, you know what? It's okay. Doesn't matter what happens, but let's just go into this occasion, especially the holidays with just a lot of love for ourselves. First and foremost, the second thing that I find really impactful is to lower your expectations. And by that, I mean, when we're, so for example, I'll use the, um, the analogy of when my dad passed. So our first Christmas, of course, I know it's going to be so difficult not having him there. I know that. So instead of looking at that day with dread and pain and hurt, if I lower my expectations and say, okay, we have a whole new day, a day filled with opportunity. What is out there for me to find? And when I lower those expectations, it allows me, sure, I'm still sad. Sure, of course I miss him. I will miss him for the rest of my life. But I'm able to see small things that bring me joy, that I can, you know, think about my dad and say, oh, I remember that. He, that would have been, love that. You know, all kinds of just little things. And if I had been so consumed with myself and the pain, I wouldn't have been able to see other opportunities that have come up. And those are the two biggest tips that I have for individuals with any kind of grief. Okay. So what I'm is, is to like, be kind to yourself yes. and understand and know that it's new yep. and it's different. Yes. And then also to expect that the holiday is going to be different and the memories are going to come up. But instead of, looking at them totally with sadness that, oh, he's not here. I'm so sad he's not here or she's not here or they're not here. Oh, they would have loved this. Like reframing it. That's yes. kind of what I heard. Like reframing, like how can this be sort of for me kind of concept? Like how can I think what would they have loved about this? Yes. Kind of. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. That makes sense. So that you're, acknowledging, yes, this is new and this is different. And this is my first time without this person, but opening up to, and what can be new about this? And even thinking, what, what would they have liked about this? Yes. Right. Okay. Just okay. being able to open your mind to any kind of an opportunity that will come up. Again, still honoring, if we're talking about an individual, still honoring them. You know, you're not dishonoring them, but it just allows you to face the day with a better, slightly optimistic view. Okay. Okay. And then as far as like, when you actually, no, did you have a loss while you were drinking that was as deep as like a, your father and the two differences in the two experiences? Yes, I did. I uh, actually sadly lost uh, one of my old best friends um, while I was still drinking. And 
So of course, because I'm suffering grief, the first thing I do or sadness is reach for a beer. And it was amazing the length of time it took me to process his loss. It just, because I wasn't dealing with my emotions, I wasn't dealing with my feelings. I wasn't dealing with anything to do around his loss. I was just focused on me and drinking and numbing my emotions. So it almost extended his loss. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. You know, because when we drink, you're not processing anything. Right. Yeah. The emotions are still there. You're not allowing the emotions to come out and flow freely from you, you know, to feel them, to lean into them, to feel the pain, to feel the hurt. We numb them. So it's yes. still there. Right. Yeah, it's so very true. Yeah, because I remember, like, when I lost my dad, I was still actively drinking. And I was like, literally, yeah, it took a while. Yeah. And I, you know, haven't lost, fortunately, anyone since then, really. I, I mean, even being in my 60s, which I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I haven't like, actually, <laughs> like, I don't, like, now I'm like, don't say it out loud. What happens? Yeah. Like, you know, like, but I can see how the not allowing yourself the gift of feeling all the emotions and letting them be in your body and noticing, okay, this is, this is literally what grief feels like. For me, this is what it feels like. And I think part of it is we think it's supposed to be something so horrible that it's got to be the worst thing on the planet to ever allow yourself to face. So why would you want to possibly face it? We're so used to running towards pleasure and running from pain. Yeah, right. And this is this is facing it head on and saying, you know what, it's it's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel this. A feeling felt is a feeling dealt. Yeah, and I that is one of the things that I have noticed the biggest difference too, besides the all the aging stuff, the stuff I thought was because of aging kind of thing. And then is literally because I personally went through like a job change, like I got retired. And then also in 2020, I had four operations. But I literally didn't experience any of those in the same length of time where Prior to that, and while I was actively drinking, I had one major operation. This one, I had four. And I did it. And my husband's even like, well, you would never really even know you had four operations only just like, you know, 12 months ago. Like, and they were not like tiny operations. Like, I got like seven holes in my stomach. Like, it's like, you know, so I'm just like, yeah. And that until I'm actually talking to you now, am I literally realizing Oh my God, that must be why it's because I literally could feel everything, process everything, be present for it all. And it was just literally happening then and each time and in those moments and not extended over after it was over, then thinking about the impact of what happened. I don't know if I'm explaining that. Like, it's kind of like, it's weird, but I totally understand you're, you're able to be present. For every step of the way. Right. And I think that's where the difference is. And I don't think we quite grasp how much not being present, how much longer it makes those those uncomfortable things last. And we don't realize that. Because as a society, we're also taught 
and trained to not be present for those things. Whether yes. it's with alcohol or it's with food or it's with go, go scroll the social media um, or, oh, just binge, binge watch television. It'll be okay. Right. Like yeah. instead of just feeling what you need to feel. Just hide it under the carpet. It'll be fine. Yeah. But then you know. when you pick up the carpet, the dirt's still under there. Like, oh, it it's is. Like, it's like when you move out, it's still there and you got to yeah. clean it up. Yeah. <laughs> or it comes with you. You know, it just keeps following you. So being able to be present through grief and just acknowledge that, you know what? I hurt right now. That's okay. And learning to adjust because grief isn't a time frame. You know, you don't lose someone or something and sort of figure that, okay, well, in a week I'll be okay. Grief is just a process now. It's a process of life that continues. And we mourn what we have lost, but we need to adjust. We need to form a new life. So I am still a daughter. You know, I will always be a daddy's girl, but I just have to adjust to my new life without my dad physically present. I need to adjust to my new life, walking into a bar and ordering a cranberry and soda instead of a beer. Yeah. And, and it is possible if you're listening and you don't think so. No, it's possible. And you don't miss and And you actually have a better time, believe it or not. (laughs) <laughs> like you actually have a way better time Much and way time. more fun. Yeah. yeah. So this has been so awesome. And I know that the listeners will benefit from it and take a lot from it. And especially because this is going to be coming out in November, right? As the holidays are coming. And so I so appreciate you being here. And I know you're doing some grief training too. And you're yes. almost done with that certification. So how, if people really want help with that, how can people get a hold of you? Um, the best way to reach me is through my website at www.forwardfreedom.one. That's O-N-E. And I would love to just hold space for you and talk to you. Okay, that's awesome. And I will have this in the show notes too. So the link will go in the show notes so people can help. Thank you so much for being here. This has been so much fun. And I know that people will be benefiting from this episode. Hey, I will. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure I'll have you back on again. I would love (laughs) that, Debbie. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Exit the Drinking Life podcast. I hope this episode has helped you move away from drinking shame and blame and instead into confidence and full belief that the life you desire is within your reach. You are not alone. I have been exactly where you are right now. If you have enjoyed this episode, please take a second to hit the follow button so you never miss a future episode. And leave a review to help me reach more listeners just like you looking to break away from the toxic cycle of drinking and discover a healthier approach that leads to a life full of abundance and happiness. If you want to take what you've learned here to the next level, head over to jumpseatcoaching.com for more resources and tools. See you back here on the next episode.